You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Behind the Influence, a production of iHeartRadio and TDC Media. I didn't even think that those were a reality, to be mm. honest. I wasn't never an entrepreneur up until that point. Well, I think I had to fail on that astronomical level in order for Kogi to make sense. We've kind of fought that tooth and nail in a very hippie way. You know, like we don't believe in those things. But by losing everything, it reset my whole code. It recalibrated everything about who I am, and it prepared me to be who I was going to become. He's a trailblazer in the food world, a New York Times best-selling author, star of the new show Broken Bread, and if you've ever stood in a massive line at the famously delicious Kogi truck, you have him to thank. Roy Choi, everyone. Hey. hey. Oh, ringing his own bell. <laughs> <laughs> Did that just feel so natural I to you? I just saw that. I was like, yo, let's do it. You are one of the most influential people in the food space. So it's an honor to have you here. Oh, thank you. Before you came in here, actually, I was talking to our producer, Brian. He's like, oh, who's coming in today? I was like, it's Roy Choi. He, he just kind of froze. And I was like, you cool? <laughs> and he's like, the Kogi food truck, Roy Choi? Uh, yeah, what other Roy Choi do yeah. we know? And he's like, I had his food truck at my wedding. Oh, my God. So that's a legit, that's a fan right there. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. You yeah. can't make that shit up. I mean, we do a lot of weddings, and to be honest, Kogi at a wedding is like, we've replaced the clown and, and the balloon guy. No you know, clowns, like, no yeah, balloons. Yeah, it's all, like, yeah. We are the one. Like, <laughs> you bring a Kogi truck to a wedding, like, everyone's having a good time. I was telling, yeah, I was telling Brian that, and by the way, this is how loyal he is. This is before Kogi really blew up. Oh, so man. he's like an OG Kogi fan. Nice. Sorry we even, for putting we, me on We spot. even have had relationships built in a Kogi line and engagements as well. And proposals. In a and did line. they get married? And they get married and get the Kogi truck. So it's like the whole nine yards. Uh, so you're not only are you filling our tummies with yeah. deliciousness, but you're creating love. You're probably creating babies. There you're are, responsible. There are Kogi babies out there for sure. You are the yeah. father. Came out like a short rib burrito. Yeah. <laughs> you have so many children you don't know about. No, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but it wasn't always Kogi and success, mm -hmm. right? It was a journey for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure you even knew that a food truck was something. I mean, food trucks didn't exist before you, basically. Uh, no, I mean, th they, they, did, they did, but not uh, we the have, way. We have to give uh, respect and honor to the trucks that, because Kogi, we're a child of those trucks. Okay. You know? And yes, we are the modern revolution of food trucks that combine technology and, you know, and this new flavor and this kind of hybrid flavor, but we wouldn't be here without the roots of the taqueros and the lunch trucks that fed all of the construction here in Los Angeles that built these buildings. And the, it's like thinking of your parents, like, or an older generation, like they just didn't have the tools to communicate out to the world. So they just fed whoever was in front of them. But we took that and kind of added radio waves to it, you know, and broadcast that out. So you essentially are saying that you reinvented the way that food was given previously via food trucks and things like that. You just elevated it to a different level where it was able to reach the masses and the way it was marketed. Yeah, I would say that. And I think not only for food trucks, but I think for 
pretty much the whole food experience right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we're responsible for how we interact with food, but I'm saying that we are one part of that recipe, mm. which is these food halls, food festivals, you know, we're an extension of the blogging format. You know, you have things where like people gather together, like these night markets and smorgasburgs and all these things and these viral components where people line up for two, three hours for a sandwich or a burger or whatever the case may be, or the hottest new falafel or whatever the case may be, all these kind of interactions, Kogi kind of set the blueprint for that. The entire premise of this show I was explaining to you before we went on air, we are talking to people who influence and use social media to help grow brands, grow establishments. You are no exception to this rule. And because of Twitter, I think Kogi was able to reach the masses in the way that maybe 10 years ago or whenever Twitter didn't exist. I don't even know when that was anymore. But would it have had the success that it did if it wasn't for social media? No, it was a perfect storm. You know, there was one other component to it, which was the fact that the economy crumbled at that time, too. Those big firms went out of business and we found out about the real estate mortgage crisis and everything. And so within this month between now and Thanksgiving and the movie Twilight coming out was our kind of like gestation period and Kogi, Twitter, the economy, we came together and just it was a perfect storm. The most important thing to realize with that social media is that food had never entered that arena before. You know, food is a very old, a little bit archaic system. You know, we're, we're, we're still like a like an old craft. Like, you know, you look at bread baking and, and cake making and food and ovens and pizza making. It's all by hand. It's very craftsman-like, almost mm-hmm. like carpenters. Like carpenters aren't on Twitter promoting, you know what I'm saying? Like our whole industry, we're like a bunch of carpenters, you know, making stuff. And even our systems in the front of the house were very old school as well. But to combine this this idea that there isn't a division between fine dining and good food and then to blast that out and have everyone involved, that was revolutionary. But they didn't know how to communicate to do like a podcast format. Like we created kind of like a podcast environment for restaurants where you could just be yourself and express yourself and that was enough to gain a fan base how did you dream this up though because i know in in 2008 you basically landed a dream job of being a head chef at a restaurant things didn't work out there Mm -hmm. and then you were back to square one the economy like you said was crashing twilight was out (laughs) so it was you and the vampires right how was this concept birthed from nothing. Well, I think I had to fail on that astronomical level in order for Kogi to make sense to me. You know, and Kogi came to me through a friend, but I was a I was a career veteran by that time, you know. Imagine like what you're doing right now, like if you woke up and you had like this amnesia and you forgot like what those buttons mean right in front of you or even what this microphone does. Like all these things that come second nature to you, imagine if you had this amnesia. And that's what happened to me. I woke up and mm-hmm. I just, I was the leader of this kitchen, a kitchen that was doing like 1,500 covers a day. It was, again, this was right before the social media and blogging environment of food. So it was still a traditional format and Rock Sugar and Century City Mall was the biggest thing that could happen. All celebrities would show up. It was, again, like 2,000 covers a day. It was busy from start to finish. And I was groomed for this job. This I was ready for it, and I did really well in the first three months and the development and the opening. And then somewhere within the first two or three weeks of the opening, I just hit this wall of amnesia, and I kind of just really fell apart, and I got fired. Did something trigger that for I don't you? know. I, I have no idea. I, I like to look at it in hindsight as something a little more metaphysical and spiritual, like— Something just maybe the universe was the universe needed, telling you needed me, man. You know, yeah. like needed me to to fuck up so that I could do this thing for others. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, because if I hadn't messed up that much, and if I hadn't lost everything and been fired, and then the economy crashes, and I'm overqualified for other jobs, you know, because I had built the career up until that point. If it, if all of those things didn't align, I don't think I would have at the age that I was at that time confronted saying, all right, let's give up everything and start selling street food on the street and just making enough to get by. You know, I had a family, I had a career that I had to think of and all these normal things that you're supposed to think of. Mm. But by losing everything, it, it reset my whole code. You know, it recalibrated everything about who I am and it prepared me to be who I was going to become. You consistently talk about 
pride from where you come from, yeah. pride, LA pride, and, you know, feeling like you want to give back to the people and, and be a part of the community. Do you think that subconsciously when you were at Rock Sugar, like you said, it was all celebrities, it was bumping, it was like mm -hmm. the hard to get into place. Do you think a part of you felt like that wasn't your authentic place to be we all go through that right like we have our work life and our home life or mm -hmm. our personal life and those that are very fortunate can can blend the two together but in most cases you have to separate them a little bit it wasn't anything that deep to me it, yes i had my own personal dreams and my own personal philosophies and visions but i didn't even think that those were a reality to be mm -hmm. honest i wasn't never an entrepreneur up until that point and but I, did you have dreams of being an entrepreneur Nah, no i had dreams of just making it up the ladder, you know, like I had messed up so much when I was younger and, you know, gone through so many rabbit holes of addiction and, and rock bottom stuff that mm. when I finally found cooking, I was fine with it. I was fine with being someone that had a real steady job that worked themselves up the ladder. I was just looking to open more restaurants and be a corporate chef. That's all that mattered to me. And then, and then that provided me with, it's funny to think about it now because my life is so different, but that provided me with 401k, health insurance, two weeks vacation. That's all I needed out of life, all I wanted. And I just wanted to take care of my team and cook good food. It didn't even register my mind that it was possible to be this like kaleidoscope and dynamic and like to be able to all my weirdest thoughts and all my floral and complicated thoughts could become my business. I didn't even think about that. Well, not only your business, but so many other people's business. I and mean, other time, people's business. time yeah. calls you one of the most influential people in the world. Yeah. That's got to be so humbling. You're talking about a 401k and that was yeah. like something that you were wishing for and being able to provide for your family. Yeah. Not only did you accomplish that, you're also considered somebody who has influenced the food space in such an astronomical way yeah. People are making a living right now off of a business model that you dreamed up. And sometimes certain individuals, and, and you know, it's weird talking about it because it's me, but like I'm one of those individuals and there are many, many millions more, but there are certain individuals that have to go through something in order to open the door for a lot of others, you know, and I had to go through the pain of getting fired and, and not knowing how I'm going to survive to taking a chance on life and, and starting this food truck in order to make it normal and to make it possible for, you know, hundreds of thousands of others to leave their job and sell their grandma's blueberry pie, mm. you know, and then become entrepreneurs and open brick and mortars and have products in, in the markets and, and have a life where they're, they've completely, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to put it, like broken out of their, their body and gotten to the next level of life, you know, and those things wouldn't have been possible I mean, if Kogi hadn't happened, something else would have come along, but Kogi did happen. So it, it did happen. It did happen. So I don't think those things would have been possible because just like with YouTube, you know, and all these things, there was a system, you know. So in order to become a musician, you couldn't just break out on your own. You had to follow the chain of command and go through a label and all these things and be manipulated in whatever sense. And that was the same thing in the food industry or in this creative field where you had some some special thing that you thought was the best that you could make a life out of. Kogi provided that pathway for a lot of people. And and I was the one that had to go through certain things in order to make it normal for everyone. That defines being a trailblazer. And that's exactly why we wanted you on the mm -hmm. show. So you obviously, you have classical training. And that yeah, is, you know, you didn't just start a food truck. You have classical training. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you were just working your way up. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you had a lot of food industry friends and chefs and mentors. When you decided that you were going to take this leap and do this food truck thing and start promoting on Twitter, what were some of the reactions from your colleagues or people that you had worked with? It was mixed, to mm -hmm. be honest, because people felt threatened. There were a lot of old industry veterans and restaurateurs, especially from the East Coast and like moguls within the industry that, that were threatened by this. And I, I remember their comments and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I forgive them, but I'll never forget. Um, what were some of the comments? They were saying we were, proof will be in the pudding. This is a flash in the pan. It's well, you have a Costco-sized pudding now. Yeah, we, yeah, we do. <laughs> How do you like me now? How do you like me now? <laughs> and they um, were saying things like, you know, it's just a fad. You know, there's no substance behind it. It's going to fizzle out soon. Like, who is this guy? You know, they were kicking a lot of trucks out that were way beyond the vicinity of a restaurant, but they were they were 
They were being snitches, man. They were calling. Mm. They were calling authorities to kick trucks out because they, there's issues with trucks being. In the early days, there was. Now it's cool, but also there were a lot of restaurateurs that were saying stuff, you know, in the paper, in 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 food media, just being like old farts, man. Mm. You know, just saying like. You know, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not the food industry. This is, you know, they're disrespecting everything we represent and all this stuff. And that wasn't the case. How do you quiet? I, I came from that world. I came, like you said about technique, if I look back, all the things that I did prepared me for this moment to be a revolutionary, you know, because I did follow the path, you know. And if you look at a lot of revolutionaries. They're rule breakers. Yeah, but, they, but, but they're rule breakers, but a lot of them followed the rules and learn the rules from the beginning. Can't break the rules until you really learn them and, and practice them and understand them. And so, you know, I, I came up in the system. I worked in huge banquet halls. I worked in five-star hotels. And I learned all these things that provided me with the tools. When the moment came in my life, I just, you know, I grabbed it. I was prepared because I had that training in my muscle memory to cook for 3,000 people or a wedding of 1,250 you know, that all need their food or their chicken at the same time. And those those mechanics prepared me for Kogi that I didn't even know, but they worked. So those initial comments, they, they didn't mean much to me, but they hurt, you know, because I was representing the culinary industry through street food, you know. So how do you quiet the noise in that moment? Because you aren't a fortune teller. You're not mm -hmm. God. You don't know that it's going to work out for you. You were obviously taking a risk. Yeah. Your name was on the line as a chef. Probably. I didn't care at that point. You, know? you didn't care. But yeah. how did you we're all human. And of course, things get in our heads. Right. Did you yeah. did any of those doubts creep in when you started to hear those nah, things? Because we had the people in front of us. Mm. You know what I mean? So, again, those things just sounded like noise, noise. It sounded like old timers, you know, like has been old farts, as you old said, farts <laughs> telling me what I need to do, you know, and it, it actually it actually gave us fuel. But it does hurt. The words hurt because you're putting your heart and soul out there. And then you have like the old guard saying that this is not how it's supposed to be. And the old guard is really, if you really look at it deeply, they're doing it for their own self-interest. They're saying these things for their own self-interest because they're scared that this new dynamic economy or this new dynamic creative outlet is going to take away from what they have. They're not really down for the culture. You know, they're saying these things because they're scared for themselves. And that shit is selfish, you know. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The thing that I'm so touched by is that wasn't even your your intention was never really to become like this food god right or somebody who changed the game in the food industry you just wanted to put good food in people's hands and be approachable and just get it to the people well our intention also was just to make 850 dollars a day that was it that That was was, that was the dream of kogi let's make 850 a day did you make it yeah yeah (laughs) uh it'll be it'll be it'll be yeah it'll be enough to like keep us and and the great thing about kogi is like from day one, we were able to grow it little by little and, and keep saving and then open up our stores. And we've never taken outside money, which is great. You know, we're not as big as like a lot of quote unquote business people think we should have been. But uh, I was thinking about that on the way here. It's like in the business world, and especially in the tech world, everything is always about scale, domination, acquisition. You know, like that's the only thing that matters. We've kind of fought that tooth and nail in a very hippie way you know like we don't believe in those things you know and it didn't it really confounded a lot of business people for the last 10 years of like how could you not you have lightning in the bottle you're supposed to have 400 of these around the world and but do you think that that would take away from exactly your mission yeah i think i can do it maybe with other businesses but with kogi kogi is a very unique child man it's like it almost doesn't want any of that stuff it needs to be free and so, yeah, I mean, so we've never taken funding and that has allowed us to stay independent and stay true to our mission and our vision. Our goal was never to that big. It was literally just to get by. I'm so happy and proud of like how many people have taken the story of Kogi or been inspired by it and changed their lives. You know, and this is not just like one or two. Like no, you, mentioned. This is like, you can't drive down the street in L.A. without seeing a food truck. Yeah. You will see restaurants open mm-hmm. and then they shut down yeah. right away. And I think that. What you've created, I, not even by breaking the rules, but creating your own set of rules, mm-hmm. you've created this business model for people that is approachable. And if you are really good at making grandma's pie, you can make a living off of that. Yeah, we create, again, going back, we've kind of accidentally created, I mean, and again, there are the tools that were created around us and for us by the industry, but we created a format like YouTube that gave people a platform. To, to do things with $500 or $1,500 or, you know, not have to get investors or like if you only have $5,000 between the three of you that you could actually start something and your whole life will take another trajectory. How much did it take to start the Kogi truck? We started Kogi with 1500 bucks. 1500 bucks. Yeah. Is that your own 1500 bucks? Yeah, yeah. Actually, between my partners and myself. So it was th- they put in 1500 and I put in 1500 and it was 3000 bucks mm-hmm. and that paid for the wrap on the truck mm-hmm. sick which wrap took, which took sick out yeah wrap. it took out that already <laughs> took out like half of it so then we had like 1500 left and then we bought probably like 800 or 900 dollars worth of food and then the other stuff was for like paper goods and things like that and then the last part of it was like just to have change you know in the register or whatever and uh so you had just enough just enough what was that first night like for you the first um, night did you send a tweet on the first night or did you just show up? No, we sent we tweets sent t- um, the first few nights. And the tweets, were, we had a team. So Kogi is a collective. It's not just me. And so everyone kind of played a role. We had the tweets were being sent out um, by Alice and she was going to school in Brooklyn. So we would communicate with her. And then we had Mark and Caroline, who were my main partners. Caroline ran the front. Mark kind of promoted. And then we brought in the cousins and they were doing like, a lot of the other promotion. We had brought my old kind of cook, my cook from Rock Sugar, and she became the sous chef. So we're all filling our roles. The first, like, week and a half, two weeks, we were moderately busy, but we were mainly serving the clubs at that time. So we were serving the the Hollywood clubs and mainly this club on Ivar. It was called Green Door and Cabana at that Mm -hmm. time. Our business hours were basically from midnight to 4 a.m. I mean, there is nothing like coming out of a club yeah. drunk as fuck yeah. and just having a taco. I'm going to be honest. Those hot yeah. dogs that are wrapped in bacon, I can't do that. <laughs> so, so you're, you're that, like, don't talk shit about that. No, dogs. no. But that was the exact <laughs> appetite that we were feeding. Yeah. So 
But the only problem with that, we were fine. You know, we were making our 850 a night, and we were fine. But the only problem was no one remembered us because they were drunk. Oh. And they weren't getting on our Twitter, and they weren't listening to what we were saying and anything like that. They were just like, give me tacos. And know? they didn't even know the next morning that they had a taco. They just knew it was good, <laughs> but they didn't know where, where it was. And they knew that if they went to the club, it would probably be there. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And that was going on for the first couple of weeks. And then we had a turn of events when it was it was Asian night at Cabana, and a bunch of girls came out from UCLA. And one one in particular, her name is Angela, I just went to her wedding she came out and said, listen, you guys got to come to our school. And it's finals week coming up. This was around December. So it's like finals week coming up. And I know everyone's going to love this. And so she got us a spot like in the middle of the dorms area, put out a bunch of flyers. That was the moment we went viral because what happened was we ran out of food. And by running out of food, okay, so you got to – I'll just paint this picture real quick. We went to this area which was surrounded by co-op housing and dorms. So they're all high-rises in Westwood, and you're on this corner. We have this truck here, and everyone who lives in that area are students, 18 to 22-year-old students. And they were all there because it was finals week. So they're all studying. All the windows are open, everything. We pull up on the truck, and there was a moderate line of 50 to 100 people, and it kept growing and growing and growing. Ultimately, we only brought food for probably around four or 500 people. And we sold out. But the line kept growing by that time. By the time we were growing, so there was like 2,000 people, and there was more in the, in the buildings. And they were getting a little rowdy and like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And then so then I got up, and I yelled at everyone. Listen, man, like it was like the biggie line. If you call your friends and I call my friends, you know. <laughs> we uh, can be friends and eat these And I was like, get help, tell them to get this at the Korean market, to get this on Shut up. Yeah, Get this, that, that, that. And then. It went out. That's community. Hold on. That's community. I can't even yeah. wrap my head around this. Yeah. You get up there, yeah. Biggie Small style, yeah. and you're like, yo, you go there, you go, you go there, there, you go, you and they came back. Friend. Yeah, and so it would take too long for them to go. So I was like, listen, call someone who, who's one of your friends in K-Town. Who, who's in K-Town right now. Tell them to pick up these ingredients, this amount of money. We'll pay them back. Tell your friend who's on the west side in Sautel right now to get these things, and we'll pay them back. They brought them all, and I was listen. if you guys can do that, and we'll do it as well. Come, it'll probably take like 30, 45 minutes to get all that stuff here. We'll prep it all. It's going to be about two hours, but we'll get up and we'll start serving you all again. And again, these are like 18 to 22-year-old kids that have nowhere to go. They're studying for finals. And the reaction was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> 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 fuck yeah. Like, let's do this. And um, that's what happened. That, and then. Oh, so during that time, we told that. everyone to join Twitter, our Twitter, spread the message, all this So that stuff. was the moment. That was the moment Kogi went viral. Yeah. Damn, at UCLA. At UCLA. Just a bunch of kids trying to help out. The intersection, I should make a t-shirt. The intersection is Lanfair and Ophir. That that intersection. That is, is definitely is a moment for you. That's at least a tattoo. That's like a hate action. I'm just saying. Like you have some space on your yeah, arm. Just do a little I, something. I think I'll do it. I'll do that you as do my next tat tattoo. Lanfair and Ophir. Yeah. yeah, and that was my idea, so don't okay, forget. I, I like to take credit for things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is That is, I love that story. So that's the moment everything blew up, and that was fairly quick into the endeavor and then you're blowing up and you're just kind of going from neighborhood to neighborhood people are following you people are the lines are getting really really thick you're becoming a household name how does yeah. this sit with family how does this sit with colleagues how does this sit with you family it, family colleagues whatever i mean they're you know if they're down to support me that was cool if i'm assuming they were supporting yeah I, a lot in the beginning a lot didn't understand just out of fear out of un, out of thinking out of were, the unknown okay and i remember in the early days on the family side a lot of family extended family just looked at it like like an opportunity you know like would you say your family's old school and they looked at it like why aren't you just going no, up not my direct family not direct family. not my, my my direct family you know my parents are hustlers so they understand like the ebbs and flows and, and the hills and valleys of, of failing and getting back up. But, you know, it's just like extended family, not necessarily even blood family, just, you know, like family. When you, especially in an immigrant household, sometimes your uncle is not really your uncle, but he's your uncle. Yeah, I'm Armenian. Everyone's my aunt. Oh, you're Armenian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone's your aunt, right? Everyone. You know, and, um, and none of them are blood related, but they're your auntie, you know, right. so... It was kind of in that arena in, in family where everyone's like, you know, where's my piece? Or like, how do I invest? Or where do I get a franchise? Interesting. You know, and all that. How do you do that? How do you even handle that? Um, I usually just stayed quiet. 
Yeah. Know? Yeah. I just stayed quiet and smiled and played dumb and just asked them if they were hungry. That was it. Um, <laughs> You're like, I have a taco for you. Yeah, I have if a that taco if that's you. what you want. <laughs> as far as like industry friends and colleagues and stuff like that, again, I don't think a lot of folks really understood what was going on. I don't know why. Obviously, every industry is competitive, but would you say, did you find a lot of support from fellow chefs or did you find some people, you know, they always say people get fall silent when yeah. you are successful oh, yeah. and it's kind of a slap in the face for some. For From chefs, I they've always supported bloggers, chefs. It was more the restaurant tours, mm-hmm. you know, and again, it was a caste system back then. Now, if you look at, if you look at the food world, Again, I, I think we were one component of it. I don't think we were all of it, but I think Kogi laid the groundwork for some of it that the chef is now the owner, right? So now you have the creative person running the thing. But back then, it was no chefs had the ability and the environment didn't provide the ability for you to be the chef owner, you know, because you didn't have these small restaurants, these like five-table restaurants that were the, listed the hottest restaurant in Los Angeles or New York that, you know, that that had no expensive architecture or furniture or anything like that. These weren't considered to be the best places to eat at that time. And so you couldn't really be an independent restaurateur on the level that you can now. But now you can be a young chef with really amazing food, open something on the east side or here in Burbank, and you know just literally paint the walls yourself, buy some furniture over at the Pasadena Flea Market, set up the restaurant and then just start making money from day one, you <laughs> know, make that money, make that money. And, and a lot of cooks and chefs, the beginning of Kogi, a lot of them would get off work and eat with us. Mm-hmm. You know, they would be inspired and dream like, fuck man, this is what I want to do, you know? And eventually it did inspire them. And it is what they did. And now all the restaurants that are listed on the best of sites are these chefs that were eating at Kogi or something like Kogi that were inspired to start their own little spot, you know, their own little hummus spot or their own little whatever spot, you know. So that that was it. But it was a lot of the restaurant tours that were were hating. Which you didn't yeah. even care about anyway. Fuck them. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, fuck <laughs> I looked so hard, right? Aren't yeah, I scary? Yeah, you are. scary. I'm super scary. Yeah, <laughs> so one of the chefs that supported you throughout your career was Anthony Bourdain. I know, for example, I saw you at the Pantages with him. Mm-hmm. How did that relationship come to be? We were always one degree away from each other for a long period of time. And then he finally asked me to do his layover show. It was like an offshoot of his no reservations. But because we were so close in our circles and we obviously were fans of each other, when we first met, it was just like jumping in the pool together. Like it just started mid-conversation. It was one of those things where, I mean, I kind of have that feeling with Q, to be honest. You know, like it's... uh, Oh, because I'm dope as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Was that even not even cool that I said the word dope? Uh, that's okay it's It's, you know let's just pretend it was seven years ago (laughs) (laughs) but it was like one of those relationships where you just meet mid-conversation you know and you know there's nothing no lead up no nothing and then you're just friends from that point forward so that's how it started and then at that same moment I was trying to kind of come up with you know a pitch for my book you know and like who and I was literally just asking him advice Wow, getting advice from Anthony Bourdain, that's... Like, who should I go with? What publisher would understand this dynamic story? You know, again, it's all about timing sometimes in life. And if I could give any advice, sometimes it is about timing. You have to be prepared for that moment. But when that moment comes, you know, you you got to be prepared. And you got to be able to take the chance. And the timing was that he was actually starting his publishing line at that exact same moment that I was asking advice on how I start my first book. And so we kind of looked at each other like, wait a second, like, why don't we do it together? Why don't I be one of the first titles on your publishing line? And he's like, why don't you be one of the first titles on my publishing line? And it was like, we kind of almost spoke the same thing at the same time. So that's how it started. I love that. Yeah. Obviously, he suffered and struggled with some things because he talked about it openly, about addiction and overcoming mm-hmm. Why do you think addiction is so prevalent in the food industry? Because you hear about it more often than not. And then yeah. I also know friends who work in the restaurant world. It seems like drugs are pretty heavy in that space. Is it because people are needing to stay up and be the best and be on top of things? Why do you think? That could be part of it. I mean, I'm seeing and I'm I'm glad that a lot of it is kind of, 
tailing off a little bit. Like, especially, I mean, people always smoke, going to smoke weed or, or there's nothing ha- wrong have with a, that. Have a beer or whatever right. like that, or take a couple shots after work. Sure. You know? But I'm seeing, because I am still very involved in, on the inside, I am seeing the hard stuff like Coke and, and meth and like in heroin and Molly and lean and all these things that, all these things are really devastating, you know, like a really powerful. It's mm-hmm. almost like I do see it where a lot of the, the cooks in the industry is, are moving away from that. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. But I think addiction within within the back of the house is something, I, I think it fills a void because I don't know if this is, correct but this is my my perspective on it is that because we we give so much there's a hole at the end of the night and that hole has to be filled in some way mm. you know and because you, you have to think about the the day in the life of a cook you go to work you're on your feet pretty much all day long mostly 12 to 14 16 hours and your whole purpose in life is perfection and to 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 reach like this needle in a haystack every single second of your day. There's no wiggle room in between that needle and anything else, you know. And and then the purpose of that is to constantly you're outputting stuff. You're is to constantly give. Most cook. I mean, now you have you know obviously you know my face is around a little bit. You have open kitchens. You have the chefs that get attention. But most cooks still ninety five percent of us go unseen, you know. And so our whole our whole purpose behind those walls is to give, 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 give. And then at the end, at the end of the shift, you get off, it's 3am, 2am, 1am. And how are you going to go to sleep after all that? Mm. You know? And so, plus you're young and then you party with the front of the house and then you've given so much that something needs to come back in to nourish you. And a lot of times those became drugs, you Mm -hmm. know? And so that's really what it is. And and the alcohol part, I think, is just always there because we work with that product. People are buying you drinks. I mean, People I'm guilty of drinks. it. You buy the sushi chef a couple of shots of whatever, exactly. you know. And when you get off at midnight or 1 a.m., what's the only thing open? Our bars. Right. You know, so that's just a part of the lifestyle. It was a very rock and roll lifestyle, you know, like the 80s Sunset Strip. It moves in the night. Things are changing a little bit now. Chefs are cooking more breakfast. <laughs> Stick to breakfast, guys. Yeah. No, but on a more positive uh-huh. note, I know that a lot of people, I personally know some chefs that actually did the reverse, where mm-hmm. they were doing drugs and doing mm-hmm. and kind of getting in trouble. and But then food kind of saved them. Yeah. And being a chef saved them. Yeah. I could name five people that have successful restaurants that actually came out on the other side and it helped them be the best chefs possible. So it definitely happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if your eye and your spiritual and your third eye can be opened by your surroundings, what you'll realize is that you're surrounded by some of the most beautiful things this 
our planet has. Like you have the best ingredients, the the best vegetables and fruits and Would you say food saved you in many ways? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Not only lifestyle-wise but also physically and and emotionally everything, you know. It's it's something that uh, you know, I've also been able to, to redirect my addictions cuz I'm still a, an addict. I'm still a compulsive person. That's how beautiful the food world is and how absorbing and enormous it is, is that it can absorb and and handle this huge like force, which is addiction. And you can channel that into this. I mean, you you were compulsive enough to start selling tacos on the side of the street and you channeled it in that way. Yeah. And you can and it changed my life because it, it never ends, you know. The bounty of product never ends. The knowledge and how to prepare it never ends. The excitement and the creativity in in finding new flavors and compositions never ends. We have a base technique, but it's almost the there's just no end to it. And because of that, what happens is you're you constantly grow within it, and you can be a misfit or someone that doesn't fit into other things, and you fit completely right into the food world. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's a perfect place for a lot of us that that live on the fringe or have a lot of these things that don't allow us to, you know, live a quote-unquote normal life. We can find that energy and that power in food because it never stops. And you haven't stopped since Kogi. It's not just ended with the food trucks. You have several restaurants that you've opened since then. Do you think that having that reputation allowed you to easily open up these other restaurants and have a reputation that people trusted and did you find early success in all of your ventures yeah but some have gone out of business recently you know and last year i had a really tough year i had to i lost three very close people to my life anthony bourdain being one of them and jonathan gold and my really one of my best friends uh biggie and and then i had to transition or i lost two businesses as well so the restaurant business goes up and down. Right. It's a really, really hard business. I always tell people, like, if anyone that's in the restaurant business says they're balling and, like, is always bragging about how busy they are and how good things are, they're usually lying. Mm. Because even the even the busiest restaurants are sometimes struggling. There's maybe a very select few, you know, like one, one out of every hundred or whatever that can really justify that they're doing very well. But it's very hard. The unique thing that I had with Kogi was that I never had to compromise my values or my ideals and I never had to take money or investment in order to open. Kogi was such a crazy thing. So my experience is it's different than many others. And I want to like put that in as a caveat because once Kogi happened, it was a, it was a revolution and it was a phenomenon. So people were approaching me and giving me, you know, hand over foot what I wanted, you know, so that made it easy. But I kept my moral compass in that I want to make sure that I can protect my own sanity and my own life. So sometimes in business, it's okay to take less. And what I mean by less is like percentage or money or things like that in order to protect your creativity or whatever the case may be. So some of the first restaurants that I opened, I only came on as a creative partner Mm -hmm. instead of as a partner partner. So then that way the partner could handle all of the business stuff. You know, they get the lion's share of the rewards or whatever. I get a smaller percentage or whatever, but I get my freedom. I get to to be whatever I need to be, and I get to come up with as weird of ideas as I, as I want to. You know, so I've been in a unique position where I haven't had to put a lot of stuff on the line, and I could just create, you know. So, yeah, and so that led the door to open to a lot of restaurants and um, endeavors, and now I'm getting into entertainment. And, and making shows and yes um, and I'm getting the same good fortune of like being able to come in do the things on my terms you know but that takes patience and time sometimes in the beginning you want things to happen overnight and if you're too impatient what will happen is you get sucked in and you have to do things the way you don't want to do them mm-hmm. and you get compromised if you can find the patience like I'm 10 years to 11 years in and I'm just starting to open up my entertainment wing, you know. But now, by waiting that long and being the tortoise in the race, I have complete creative control and power to do the things that I want to do the way that I want to do them, you know. That's pretty powerful. I don't I don't have any, like, 
old shit I look back and cringe on because I didn't do any. So even the restaurants that shut down, you don't look back on those like, ah, fuck, because what were the circumstances, for example, for those those two that you had to shut down last year? Well, some of them are not just business related as far as like them being busy or not. The line hotel project in Koreatown, it was still popping. It was still really good. It's just our lease was up or our our Mm. um, our contract was got it after five years. And then the parent company that we were partnered with didn't want to renew it, mm. you know. So it was just one of those things. Sometimes, do those hit you hard when when things like that happen, or do you just chalk they all it up? Hit, they all hit you hard, but then you got to find some sort of solace in that. You know, maybe not everything has to be forever. You know, what's weird about the food industry is that everyone, and especially the critics and stuff, and some of the journalists and whatever they are, what I don't even know, they're not even called blogs anymore, but like the the commenters or the eater sites or all those mm-hmm. things, they they assume that when you open something that that it's either open forever or it's a it's a failure and they just shit on you. You know, even if it's been open for nine years or seven years or five years, you know, you know, I've come to terms with that things have certain lifelines, mm-hmm. you know, and it's what you did in those lifelines that matter. It's unfortunate that a, a lot of critics only believe that if it doesn't go on forever, then it's a complete failure. You know, like when a restaurant, a really great restaurant that has been around for six, seven, eight years may have to shut its doors because the lease was up or the rent went a different direction or the neighborhood changed or whatever. They'll just write like, you know, death watch of Mm. this restaurant. You know, they were once good, but they couldn't, they couldn't make it and blah, blah, blah. And they don't know the true factors of the case. Maybe that wasn't it. Maybe the whole life cycle of that thing is just over, you know? And, you just move on. A lot of people don't understand that. So, yeah, it hurts, but I've gotten to a point where those things had a life, you know, and I celebrate. Like, I have this tattoo right here, five years forever. That's in reference to the Lion Hotel because a lot of people were shitting on us, like, what happened, blah, 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 you know. They were a failure or they, they couldn't keep up with the Joneses and all this stuff, right? And that wasn't the case. If you talk to anyone on the inside, it was, it was more about, you know what, we had these beautiful five years together. And I don't know, maybe I'm more of an optimist and an idealist. No, I see it that way, too. I mean, especially in the food industry, some of the places that have been around for Mm -hmm. 20 years, to me, I go and I'm disappointed. It's like, okay, this is a classic OGLA spot, not necessarily reinventing themselves or doing anything unique. Mm -hmm. So I guess advice to new restaurateurs who are opening up spots, is it okay? It's okay to have a really solid five years. It is. I, I believe that. I think it's okay to transition in whatever you do. If this podcast ends at whatever point it's better to have the amount of time to do fucking killer sessions than go on forever it's like like, when michael jordan tried to play baseball it's like bro (laughs) you just go out on top go out on top you know so your show Uh broken bread love it i really want to touch on that i know we're going way over i feel like i could talk to you maybe for seven hours straight but we won't do that to you (laughs) you're like yes please don't do that to me i have shit to do broken bread is um it, it's a show that means so much to me because it's everything that I believe in and all the people in my life that I really am a part of and that I represent and the ideals and the ideologies that I represent. And it's about looking at things that don't make sense, why they're broken. As a chef, again, going back to idealism and, and, and naivety, and all chefs, we have a very simple filter. One is like, if that thing is rotten, it's rotten. You know, If that knife cut is wrong, it's wrong. If you didn't rotate that product, you didn't rotate that product. That's it. It's very cut and dry. And I look at these issues like homelessness, lack of access to good food and healthy food, to processed food being infiltrated into our neighborhoods, to food waste, to job reentry, and the inability for a lot of people to, to reenter the market, to the criminalization of cannabis, to the black and brown community, and then the gentrification of, of it right now. And I look at these things and I say, these are very, very clear problems that don't make any sense. And by just bringing these things up, if we find solutions to just bring everything up to sea level, that we're all at at least at this base sea level, it's okay that you can, those that are in power or, or have success, you can continue to have those successes. But it doesn't mean it has to be at the expense of everyone else extremely living on the on the way other end. And so this show explores that ideology. Like, why are these systems broken? Let's tell you the story of real people from the inside out and not just statistics. 
and let's show you some people on the ground that are aligned with these thoughts and are not listening to the propaganda, and they're just doing everything, something about it. Because the inspiration is that if there is person a person's delivering one box of produce at a time or serving one vegan dog at a time or growing one radish at a time, it can change the world because I sold one taco at a time. You know what I'm saying? Most people will roll their eyes at that, but I'm trying to show you as the host that this shit is possible. You know, like I was literally selling one taco at a time. And then you, as we started the whole thing with all the hyperbole of what, you know, what we did, you know, it changed the world in this arena. And so if we have this thing where kids can't access good food or we're throwing away millions of pounds of really good produce and people are starving on the street, these are major problems, but they could be fixed by one, one little thing, one box at a time could open up our minds to, to fix this. And that's the premise of Broken Bread. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. We are running out of time. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. Your phone's like blowing up, yeah. so I'm going to let you go. Mm-hmm. But before we go, I just want to ask you, since you are a trailblazer and you've changed the game in the food mm-hmm. world, what is something bucket list for Roy Choi? Because I feel like you're, you're doing it all. But mm-hmm. if there's one thing that you'd like to do, you've already left your stamp on the world, so I'd be selfish to ask you to do something else. But- no, no I, I'm, I'm actually in it right now. I want to bring L.A. Sun to life in a in, in in a storytelling fictional TV show, you know. That's the, so it's going to happen. Yeah, LA Sun is my book, but the book is not just about my story, it's about the story of immigration. It's about all the families, Armenian families, Korean families, you know, Filipino, Latino families, whatever, all these families in Los Angeles that built the city. All the stories from the 60s to 70s to the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s to now that go unheard, untold, all of the aunties and uncles we talk about, all those characters, you know, all those faces and wrinkles and stories and gossip and all these things that are not valued or projected within all of the media that we have now and in the stories that we have now on our television screens or whatever, I want to bring those to life because that's my life, you know, and I owe, and in this position, I feel like that's my next thing. That's, I owe that to the legacy of our ancestors and of our culture. So the next thing is bringing this, these stories to life. Well, when you do, please come back. Okay. Because we had so much fun talking to you. So we're going to have Roy sign these China not sponsored plates. They are durable and classic and quality like Roy, but also approachable. So make sure you guys check out our Instagram to see how you can win this China not sponsored plate. I don't know where you have to go, but I'm sure it's something somewhere important. Mm-hmm. Or you're like probably so humble that you're going to serve a taco to someone. I probably might. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for stopping in. We will see you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Behind the Influence is a production of iHeartRadio and TDC Media. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.